Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. <laughs> All right, you do. We are going. Oh, we're so, on. We're on. Okay. Hi, Welcome. Sarah. Hi. Hi, Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Legacy Matters podcast, which we never say. Why we are do. you so soft-spoken? I don't, I don't know. I'm just... You're like real I kinda, genteel. I know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm in an interesting mood. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, thank you for listening. We're glad you're here. I made some new friends last night and shared the podcast with them. Yeah, you went to a concert. Went to a concert. With your head a little, little bit. bit yeah, yeah, a little bit. So um, thank you to everybody. And we also want to ask that you like, share, and subscribe the podcast on whatever medium you're using. And also follow us on Facebook. We're Andalyn App, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. You can find us out there. We're a, we're a technology company that produces a podcast. We, we that, are. That doesn't like technology, but well, <laughs> it's a necessary. It, evil, and then right? asks you to, like, asks you to help us out on the social media. I we know. can make good with social media. We can. We, we try to. We just have to. We collectively, as a, a society and a planet, really, we have to make good with these things. So. So we're going over our thirty-second intro. Whatever. Yeah. I know. I know, <laughs> All right. So All any, right. anyway, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim. Yeah, quick weather, quick weather, gloomy, little rainy out today, but, you know, <laughs> that's the way it is. So, Are we going to start talking about fall? No. I We're going to introduce our guest. I know, Jim is like, he's <laughs> chomping at the wind to interview the guests, and I love it too. I'm so excited for this. Uh, we have local news anchor legend, I would say, is that fine? Uh, Don Shelby on the show today, yes. and he's in our studio. He's uh, remarked at uh, the quality of of Jim's art already, which I love. <laughs> Just uh, the fact that you noticed that right away is really it's cool. Great. So, hi, Don. Hi, Don. How Welcome, are you, Don? Good. Nice to see everyone. Nice, nice to have you here. Thank you. As as I was just saying before we started recording and we were doing our check, um, it's very surreal for me with the headphones on. And Don, I've I've heard you my entire <laughs> life. I mean, I just know you. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Don Shelby's here, and and here you are, live. <laughs> and happy to be here. Thank, <laughs> Thank you very much for yes. asking me to be on the show. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we gave you, you know, a few minutes before the show started, kind of a little overview of, of why we're doing this and what why we think legacy does matter, and we think that uh, kind of in our day and age of, of semi-chaotic world stuff going on that... Uh, there is hope, and the and that hope springs from us getting to know each other better and to uh, think about what it is to have a legacy and and what that all means. And you certainly have one in here here in Minnesota. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I didn't set out to have a legacy, but I think that the the body of one's work uh, is ego free, because if you're in journalism, you're trying to provide uh, facts that help people derive an informed opinion. One of the bad things about uh, today, uh, and I suppose uh, in any period of history, 
if there were such a thing as podcasts going back, people could talk about the bad things today. They would have something on their mind that was something that they did not agree with or wish uh, was not happening. But one of the bad things today is that the opinion has become equal to the fact. Mm. Yeah. A person's opinion, while I respect the right of a person to express an opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean that one has a right to expect that that opinion will be respected. See, it's kind of an interesting turn that the framers of the Constitution put together, that uh, they made sure to say that the right of a person to express an opinion is to be respected under freedom of speech in the First Amendment. But that the opinion itself doesn't have to be. Right. I'll give you a living example of that. Uh, the idea of legacy doesn't exist in my immediate family. My children don't think of me as uh, having any form of legacy whatsoever. <laughs> uh, well, they're I'm your children. Just, I'm just dad <laughs> right great. Now, yep. and a butthole. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so uh, when the war in Iraq uh, opened up in the uh, first incarnation, my 13 or 14-year-old oldest daughter, who's 40 now, came to me and said, I have an opinion about Saddam Hussein. And I said, may I hear it? And she said, sure. So she told me the opinion that she had about Saddam Did you say it with that tone, too? Yeah. I bet you did. I did, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, in fact, when they were little babies, I talked to them like this. Yeah, I do this that with my I kids. To yeah. Yeah. I didn't go, oh, okay, me, 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 me. I didn't do, it I didn't wasn't do baby, baby talk. talk. No. No. no, because I knew they would grow up uh, speaking like babies. So right. I, yes. I wanted them to have uh, vocabulary, and I wanted to have I do the same with my yeah. children. I yeah. very much enjoy that, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. And their eyes get wide because it's an adult speaking to them. Yeah. And we should do that more often. Mm -hmm. Adults should mm -hmm. speak to children more often. Um, but anyway, she <laughs> yeah. gave me her opinion. And she said, what do you think of that, Daddy? And I said, it stinks. <laughs> and she said, you can't say that to me. And I said, I can't? And she said, no, you can't say that to me. And I said, why? And she said, because we're studying the Constitution in social studies, ah. and it says that uh, everybody's opinion must be respected. And I said, no, it doesn't. That's, <laughs> no, that oh, stinks, boy. too. That's a misreading of the Constitution. <laughs> oh, boy. It says you have a right to express your opinion, and that's what's to be respected, but not the opinion itself. There's no guarantee that the opinion will be respected. So the same uh, part of the Constitution that you're citing in defense of yourself is the part that I'm using to say that your opinion stinks. That's my opinion. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, do you respect that? She said, no. It's like, Dad, and I said, dick. no. And then she said, well, the Constitution sucks. And I said, well, I said, you're not probably the first person to ever say anything like that. But um, I said, but here are, here are three uh, magazines and uh, a, a book and an atlas and you can watch as much of the Discovery Channel and History Channel when they were actually doing Discovery and History. Um, <laughs> Before and, infotainment. Yeah, and, and the Learning Channel, which uh, was big. And PBS, you can watch those. And you can watch the nightly newscasts. And then uh, read these things and then formulate another opinion. And, uh, <laughs> and report back. And report back, yeah. yeah. And, and two weeks later, she came back. She said, okay, I got another opinion. I said, okay. 
And she told me her opinion. And uh, she said, kind of <laughs> shrinking, said, what do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, that doesn't suck so bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, I disagree with it, but you know what? I, I do respect this opinion. And she said, well, why do you respect it if you disagree with it? I said, because it's informed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in a uh, letter, 1779, Thomas Jefferson to uh, Colonel Carrington, um, he said that uh, it is the informed opinion that will be the salvation of the country, mm-hmm. the informed opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason the press is uh, protected in the First Amendment, not the second or third or fourth or 18th. It's mm-hmm. not. Right. The first thing they did was tie their hands. The framers of the Constitution tied their hands. When they had the capacity at that moment in time to consolidate all power to themselves, they gave it away in the First Amendment to the Constitution. And then created the fourth branch of the government, really. Well, that was suggested at the Continental Congress. We'll just have a fourth branch of government, sort of the public relations branch of government, that will inform the people. And... uh, and Franklin or, or Sam Adams or somebody said, that won't work because the idea is that if we uh, form some sort of cabal to usurp the power of the people, all, all we have to do is enlist the fourth branch, and they will just lie. Yeah, conscript them into your own. Yeah, they will be yeah. part Partisan. of this, this mm-hmm. power play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can control all power. So they, they knew that. They knew that from Lockean theory, Hume. They'd read all of the great uh, philosophers on the subject of government. And so they knew they couldn't do that. And they said, uh, no, the people will run this country, and they will vote. And they said, well, what's a vote? And they go, read your Greek. You, you'll find out what a vote is. And we will, uh, we will allow people to decide who gets uh, the power and who will guide the country as their representatives. And they said, if we have the power through the legislative branch, as we have decided in this Constitution, we have the power through the legislative branch to make laws, why couldn't we just make a law that said you can't stick your nose into our business? That the press can't stick its nose into our business. Hmm. And so Ben Franklin said, you have to have a law that says you can't have a law like that. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and as silly as that sounds, yeah. You have to have a law that says you can't have a law like that. As silly as it sounds today, that is exactly what the First Amendment says. Sure. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble to petition their government for redress of grievance. It starts out, the Bill of Rights starts out by saying, we can't make a law. God, that gave me a little shiver. Like, that it is sh- a very, should. very powerful it's statement. A, a seminal it is a, the, a culmination of a lot of, I hate the way the framers kind of get looked at as like this, you know, not just grandfatherly, but like they knew everything and they did everything right. It, we, there's still smart people working on all of these things yeah. and need to be. Yeah, but they need to be reminded of the... Uh, the great idea, that, the ideal yes. of the country, yes, and how they turned their backs on the ability 
which they had in their mm-hmm. hands, right? Mm-hmm. To take control of all power. Mm-hmm. Do you have a a favorite founder or one that you particularly, you know, or have have a bigger interest in? There, the there are. Uh, well, probably is not considered so much a constitutional or Bill of Rights founder, but. Uh, I would probably say Washington, mm-hmm. uh, simply because he uh, gave up power, the first one to give up power, right. yeah. the, the Cincinnatian sort of model who just said, I'm a common citizen. I return now to my farm. I was the most powerful person for two terms, and now I'm, I'm, a, setting a, I'm, a, I'm a common mm-hmm. citizen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you put somebody else in. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that idea, but there are there are uh, people who uh, kind of influenced uh, all of these ideas uh, that are not the ones in the picture in Philadelphia, the painting mm-hmm. where they're all standing around. Uh, I do have a fascination for Ben Franklin because he's kind of a rascal, he, he a, a rascal, and, and intellectually one of the most interesting. Oh yeah, of of the. I mean, there there were so many greats, but. Not just erudite, but uh, an autodidact. That's what I love because yeah. that's what I've had to be because I don't have a great deal of formal education. So my education is uh, all picked up yeah. on the side of the road. Right. <laughs> so you and must be an avid book reader. Education oh, yeah. roadkill. Mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a lot. There's a lot of good uh, books on. I have. I still have collected all of my books from college. I studied um political philosophy and I saw everything you're saying I have a ton of Thomas Jefferson books and I've carried them with me wherever I've moved around the country yeah Um, and books are something that's really should cherish you've read it but it's still part of your life what do you think uh I was I went to Monticello this year Mm -hmm. and um and they spent a great deal of time talking about enslaved people Mm -hmm. uh in the past they would talk about slavery or slaves but none of the docents ever talked about slaves or slavery. They talked about enslaved people as an, as an action uh, taken by someone. And I thought that was a, a great use of the English language. Yeah, just to a just small change, turn. Just change a little bit the, uh, the nuance mm-hmm. of what it meant that these powerful people enslaved these people. They weren't born slaves. They, they were not born lesser but there was a power that enslaved them. Yep. And they said that even at Monticello, hmm. where they're trying to, of course, uh, respect mm-hmm. uh, the great Thomas Jefferson, but uh, that he uh, uh, didn't manumit, uh, he did not free his slaves, even though uh, he uh, always hated the idea of slavery. He just couldn't figure out how to run a farm without him. Right, mm-hmm. and he was in debt for most of his life. Yeah, that was his source of whatever. So, means so what were. do you think about uh, that use of language and the turn that we've taken, where now they openly talk about his relationship with Sally Hemings, mm-hmm. and they talk about the fact that he did not free his slaves, uh, that it was part of his estate uh, when he died. I think that's very important. I think it's giving context to the situation. And I think when we're studying this, we need to be aware of the environment that they were living in at the time. And it's not to make an excuse for it, but it's just to have a better understanding and context of where they were coming from. 
um, you can't keep these people on a pedestal. They were people. But I think, like you said, what made it so special and why did they all come together at that particular moment to grant freedom when they could have just easily taken it for themselves? Yeah. That's the fascinating thing for me. But yeah. that's interesting. I haven't heard that term used yeah, I haven't in heard that no. Term. Well, enslaved like, that in that context. Like that. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like like the idea that you could uh, at any moment in human history uh, right every wrong or correct, you know, be expected to do everything correctly all at once just is so kind of ludicrous. But it's it's like there's we're constantly planting new trees. And you have to wait for that tree to to fully mature before you know whether you've done it right or not. Mm-hmm. And you may never see it. Mm-hmm. One of the mm-hmm. great uh, philosophical gems for me is the the greatest act of charity uh, for a society is to plant. And this was Ben Franklin who said this: to plant a tree that you'll never sit in its shade. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. That's mm-hmm. about what you look oh, That's right. a good, yeah. Sam, look at you. Look at yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, the way, it's just eloquent. the way my mind uh-huh. views right. it. And I've probably heard that in, in my lifetime, and mm-hmm. it probably stuck in that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like, you know, I, I've started a nonprofit that I know in my lifetime will not likely be what I eventually hope it will be. And I'm totally fine with that. I just, I you know, I think you you have to constantly be be making decisions today the benefit from which you'll never gain and you won't see the outcome but you think man i hope i think we're planting this in the right spot i think we're headed down the right path we should start forging that path this way now yeah so uh dr king called it the the drum major instinct where you feel like uh i need to be out front and and leading if if more people felt the drum major instinct he felt uh, then you wouldn't have to form movements because everybody would be moving. Right. They would be taking leads. Mm-hmm. The legacy of our country, to uh, get on the track of legacy for this program, the legacy of the country, uh, and that goes to your point about uh, time and space and decisions being made in a moment, a historical moment that had different pressures and, and, and different goals. Um, is the idea that encapsulated in something that you've also heard many times, but uh, the Lakota Indian uh, would meet, there were seven, seven council fires, uh, Lakota, Nakota, and Dakota, seven of the council fires, and they would meet, the chiefs would meet, and the head men would meet. And whatever policy they decided had to be a good policy seven generations hence. Okay. It couldn't be good for them alone. They had to be able to envision what seven generations, what this rule would mean for seven generations hence. And uh, I think the legacy of our country is that we always are trying to get better. Uh, Not all countries can say that. Uh, We try to correct our mistakes. And so you can look at our Constitution, and particularly the amendments that came after the Bill of Rights, are are all corrective measures. Right. It says that slavery was bad. Yep. So we're going to outlaw slavery. Uh, we're going to give the vote to black people. Or we're going to give the vote to women. Yep. We should have. Uh, you can't go back and fix it. Right. So but let's do, it, to do now. it now. Let's do it now. Yep. 
and and that's one of those examples of looking out and seeing that the uh, seven generations hence this will still be a good piece. It's stewardship of the future, right? Yeah, and it's also by default for us as humans, generally speaking, it's easier to keep the status quo than it is to say, okay, we need to make a change. Though yeah. that change comes at a cost, mm-hmm. and it and it's never easy for us, but it it's. It's uncomfortable. It's important to remember too, that it's possible, though, happened. too. Yeah, particularly if the status quo uh, is that position in time and space where you are doing extremely well. Yeah. Then uh, change is very, very difficult. So, uh, a transition from fossil fuels, for instance, where uh, uh, gold used to be the uh, international standard, petroleum is the international standard today. And so the birth pangs of this new uh, future that doesn't have as much fossil fuel in it is going to be uh, difficult uh, for everyone, for everyone who drives a car, for everyone who uh, operates machinery, who ever uses uh, electricity that is powered by coal. Uh, These transitions are going to be difficult because those people with power now and the most powerful people in the world are the people who uh, not control governments, but who control fossil fuels. And they spend a great deal of money in, in Congress, uh, $600 million last year. And, you know, there's 535 members of Congress, so you do the math. So uh, there are those people who will say, uh, and this is kind of a left turn uh, for this conversation, but, but I, I need to say it. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Bill Moyers um, a year and a half ago for PBS uh, that ran nationally. And uh, Moyers used a term, and I was sort of shocked when we were talking about money in politics and its effect on uh, how policy is made and how legislation is made and who has the voice. And the voice in this incarnation of our uh, United States government is the moneyed people. Uh, to put it simply, if, if you give $10 to a candidate and they become president of the United States and somebody gives $40 million in dark money to a candidate and the phone rings and the president can only take uh, one call, uh, does he take your call for $10 or does he take the $40 million call? Gosh, I... Yeah, this is hard to figure out. I know. I mean, it's, I feel like it's maybe a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. So anyway, Moyers, Moyers said uh, something to me that uh, it's bribery. Mm. Yeah. He said, pure and simple, mm-hmm. it's bribery. Yeah, it's known by, by a name. Yeah. And there it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you're taking just wads of money from someone to do their bidding. You think they might have some expectation? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that's the that's a kind of a turn. We don't have to uh, delve deeper into that, but it was uh, important for me to hear those words. And then, as a as a matter of fact, I was asked to speak to the 750 members of the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation, um, Minneapolis Central Office for uh, Minnesota and the Dakotas, and uh, in it, I said. And I thought I was saying a joke. Uh, I said, if you're considering anything to investigate, you might want to try bringing the RICO statute to bear uh, on the entire Congress of the United States of America. And I said that 
hoping to get kind of a snicker, a laugh. Have you never they hung out just, with FBI agents? Oh, no. Like, there's, I no <laughs> there's no joking there. Oh, man. No, it was, it Didn't was go over well. a terrible moment. Uh, <laughs> but then after the speech, they all came up with me. That was funny. And, uh, they, Why they didn't they you laugh? Help yeah. me a little bit. Right. They were laughing inside. <laughs> They're a little quiet. So I want a racketeer influence corrupt organizations <laughs> suit brought against uh, the members of Congress, both Republican and Democrat. So I'm yeah, they all deserve it. Well, they're all yeah. complicit in yeah. it, right? Yeah. I spent, uh, not that I want to get into my little political, political life. life, but I was an aide on Capitol Hill for six years on the House side. So as a young 20-something fresh out of college I moved out there and so I got an inkling of all of those little maneuverings and how that works so I would agree I'm glad I got out I have to say (laughs) but but, uh it was it was a good lesson it's a good lesson the best thing they do and it's it's the uh, least heralded of uh, representatives Mm -hmm. not so much senators but uh, representatives members of congress is constituent services oh that's it's all incredible. we did all day. It is incredible. And people don't realize that that's what your representative is for, is right. for those things. You need to you know, get your visa, whatever it is. They're I mean, there. how many calls do you get to saying, I didn't get my welfare check, or I didn't get my Social Security check, uh, I, I can't get my passport, and mm-hmm. I've got to, uh, to go to my and, daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you help me? Mm-hmm. And then they become real people. That's, that's amazing. When you when you call, yep. you think that they they just are on television and hold hearings and pass laws, right. but the real work is being done at the constituent services level, mm-hmm. and and there are uh, people assigned to to those offices called constituent services, and all day long they just are on the phone trying to solve problems for everyday human beings who live in their districts. I'm glad you pointed. Am that I out. right? You're exactly okay. right. I'm glad yeah. you pointed that out. So I'm glad you pointed it out too, because I, I get my family's all very political, and and I follow politics. I enjoy following politics. I watch I watch late night C-SPAN, uh, the British Parliament, because I find it so interesting that you're sick. Yeah, I know that's yes. a weird person that does that. <laughs> it's an odd person. Thanks. No I just got called sick by Don Shelby. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's. Uh, it's important. I, it bothers me when people say, oh, I hate all politicians. They're all the same. Like you, It would be the same, the equivalent of saying there's not a single good truck driver or bus driver or doctor or anyone out there. We should get rid of them all. Like, well, actually, you kind of need some doctors around. So some of them are going to be good and some of them aren't. You should try and figure out which ones are good. Yeah. And there's and, a lot of unsung people unsung heroes that are doing they actual actually do. work the staff and sure sure and, and our society just doesn't like well we should just get rid of the government like oh <laughs> no, no that doesn't work, work. Like, there's won't quite work out. there's a few too many things that it does that affect right. your daily life you like see. everything you know? you know i have a that brings up a question that i kind of think in my head and i'm Gosh, sure you i have could, a couple i <laughs> no, go ahead. Go appreciate ahead. uh the right to protest right and all of that that's part of this country. But do you think people understand that they have this opportunity? Number one, it was given to provided to us right through the Constitution. But they're able to protest because we do live in a stable society as well? I don't think that registers with most people. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that uh, criticizing the government mm-hmm. uh, doesn't register as a right, not only a right, but to be encouraged that yeah, you, you should, 
you should criticize the government. Yeah. Not that uh, you should feel somewhat ashamed that you're being critical of the government. No, you should be encouraged to know enough. That's the informed opinion. That's to the know informed. enough to criticize I, the government. And I'm scared that many people don't have that. They just never learned it. They they're complacent. They don't care. They're happy with their lives. And it's just even the basic, how does the government work? Who is your representative? You know that you, they have an office just down the street. It's all of these little uh, bits of information that I feel like is missing. I may be wrong. Well, I think you're right, but let me ask you a question. <laughs> um, the youngest person at the table mm. uh, with vast experience, I'm not uh, diminishing that, just saying younger because uh, you'll understand why I'm asking. Did you in high school take civics? I did. Good. I did. I you took were the, the last. AP. Oh, you I'm were, sure. You were the last yeah. of the generation to take civics because mm -hmm. it has been washed out mm -hmm. of every high school program mm -hmm. in America. I believe mm -hmm. that. My son's fifth grade teacher, one of his favorite teachers, uh, teaches civics. You know, he doesn't have to. He does this because he knows yeah. the importance of it. Yes. So is am I naive in believing that that the Constitution or, or our federal government, maybe the, the way the framers looked at it, was that the, the minority... The Constitution is set up to protect the minority from the majority in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. is, am I, is that yes, it was Madison's, I think, in the Federalist 10. He said uh, that's where the term, the tyranny of the majority. Okay, so it's, I, it, it is baked into that. I just feel yeah. like that's something that people always forget or well, often forget. And they were hoping that what would happen, instead of kind of a two-party monolith, yeah, um, that there would be a lot of what he called factionalism, that there would be factions so that there wouldn't be a consolidated majority on one heavy side. That's why I watch the British Parliament at yes. night. Because I love that. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Don, you know, so as you're saying <laughs> this, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, and I'm going to kind of bring this into a different thing, but I'm yeah. trying to vision you as a young man, as a child, and what is your early interest like, how did you, were you interested as, as a teenager in... In the founders? Or well, you said something government. earlier, too. You said, uh, I didn't set out to create a legacy. Yeah. And, and that made me think, like, well, when did you set out? Yeah, when did like, this all what, start? When did this happen? When did you become you? <laughs> or are you you yet? You right. know, is, is this, is Don done? Is no, no, like, I'm still growing. Yeah, Do you it feels like, like that. Sort of your earliest sort of... Forming of curiosity? Well, let me be absolutely frank with you, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, as a young fellow, I just uh, thought I was going to be a basketball player. Mm. Hmm. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help. By delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. All right, all right, all right. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about 
what is possible and what isn't. Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeling service, residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with a purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consolation. God, I just like that. That one. All right, that one is definitely not going to be mine. That could be oh, my favorite. I could see. Brought to you by the Andalin app. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin. Uh. Andalin now available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Want to go on a wilderness adventure with Sam? Or maybe know a group of kids who could benefit from a break from their electronics? Maybe you just need a break from the kids. Visit earthed.org for more information about how to get started. Do you have an idea that you know deserves a digital solution? Finding a partner to help navigate the digital design and application building process can be daunting. Mobile Composer, in partnership with Kinetic Legacy, offers forward-thinking design built on a stable and adaptable compliance platform. Visit mcomposer.com or kineticlegacy.us to get started building the solutions of tomorrow. Enterprise or consumer together, Mobile Composer and Kinetic Legacy offer solutions that work in a language you can understand. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. That's all I thought. I was going to play for the Boston Celtics and another team I'll tell you about in just a moment, uh, which provided a lot of growth for me. But uh, I was stupid <laughs> and, uh, and ignorant, and I cared nothing about the greater world. Uh, I only cared about myself and whether I was having fun and my friends and whether my team won or whether I was going to be a starter or uh, not. Uh, I really was just uh, this giant ball of uh, infant ego that just existed for himself. And I uh, didn't like school and I didn't read much. And my house was surrounded by books. My father was taught, uh, he was a, a businessman who, after he retired, taught uh, Egyptology at uh, Ball State University without a degree. He mm. was, a, he was mm. an archaeologist. Yeah. And part of the legacy of things is that I have a house full of uh, Egyptiana, and uh, I have pots, bronze pots from that are covered with the lava of Vesuvius because they were uh, taken from Pompeii in my house, just sitting there. <laughs> okay, Because this is part of his collection. But yeah. uh, no, so the uh, honest truth is that uh, I look back on um, that uh, part of my life intellectually as uh, either a zero or a negative because I had no curiosity about how the world worked. I had no curiosity about what adults were doing. 
I had nothing. Mm-hmm. So you were a little shit. I was. And how long did you persist as that? Uh, like, when did that change for you? Through uh, the time that I was probably in my second year of uh, college. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started seeing a lot of other people that I had never seen before and hearing a lot of uh, opinions. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of uh, protest uh, going on on campuses at the time against Vietnam. And uh, I despised those people. The protesters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Despised them. Yeah. Because I came out of a conservative household um, that, uh, it, I don't want to say it was as simple as your country right or wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, that satisfies it, basically, that if your president calls you to fight in a war, you put on the uniform. You don't question you, you, you don't. And I wasn't smart enough to question it. Yeah, and I was around a lot of people who had actually uh, studied these things. They mm-hmm. cared enough, were smart enough, read books, and they had uh, interesting philosophies. Um, none of which you cared about. None of which I cared about. To the point that uh, in my senior year of college, I quit college and enlisted, hmm. just to get away from, just to show those smarty smart pants. Yeah. How stupid they were. So now, as, of course, time yeah. informs one, uh, then I have to admit, I was wrong. They were right. Why didn't I see that? And I didn't see it because I was stupid. I had an opinion, but it was not an informed opinion. Mm-hmm. I had not spent the time that they had spent knowing these things, mm-hmm. the important things. And... I guess I uh, maintained that for a long period of time, and then uh, 68 came, and I was just uh, completely beaten by 1968. Uh, It had had torn the country apart, but it was tearing me apart. And it sounds like you were... you know, like I said, I don't do any research. So it sounds like you were in your early 20s and you were kind of forming these opinions. Yes. And, and that was when 68 yes, came around. Yes, 68 uh, just it was a, just a terrible smackdown. And, um, and to watch one's hopes uh, destroyed, to see uh, Martin Luther King destroyed, um, to see uh, Bobby Kennedy destroyed, to... Um, witness all of the terrible things that were happening uh, that were totally out of my control. And I couldn't uh, figure out what role I could play in averting any of these things or guiding any of these things. But then I remembered that uh, there was a a moment in, in time when I was probably 12 and the memory stuck and would, and would later come back to me, this memory, as a motivator. Uh, this was a period of time when uh, even small uh, places uh, from which I came, came from a small place, uh, had uh, two newspapers a day, a morning newspaper and an afternoon newspaper. And uh, my mother told me, don't bother your father uh, for one hour in the morning while he reads the newspaper, and when he comes home from work, don't bother him for one hour. And so he would sit at the kitchen table, and he would lay out the newspaper, and he would, I'm actually 
I look like him because <laughs> yeah. I he, he put both elbows on the table and and uh, put his hands with on both cheeks and just sit and and he read every word of every story uh-huh. of the newspaper hmm. every word of every story of the newspaper and then uh, when the evening would come he would do the same thing and you couldn't bother him and finally I said to him in my teenager kind of way why do you read the newspaper all the time and he said it's my job mm-hmm. and I said it's not your job you work at a galvanizing <laughs> plant and, and you're going to teach archaeology somewhere he said no this is my job that's what citizenship is uh-huh. yeah he said I have to know yep. these things yep. in order to make decisions because well so what that told me was that that paper that news was important mm-hmm. to a citizen. So and you heard that. Well, let me let me walk back on that just a second. Sure. Those those words entered your ears when you were twelve. Yeah, but they didn't actually register until right. you were in your mid twenties. Right. But that you sort remembered of right? that. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And and isn't that funny how that works? Too, is that your father? You know, the archaeology. You know, I mean, it's a constant sense of discovery. Yeah. You know, trying to find something, something that's buried, more right. or less. To ferret know? out, too, the past and what yeah. it means to the, de- to the present moment in the future. Right. To right. know the past. Yeah, and, and, and so that's sort of you, though, right now, too. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you have this sense of, dis- you know, this constant sense of discovery. Curiosity is probably my number one asset. Mm-hmm. But it has to be the asset of every good journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to always ask why. Why did that happen? And then try to somehow explain not only what happened, but why it happened. Mm-hmm. So that people can have some sense uh, of control in their lives because if you can give them the why, then it doesn't feel that they're random victims of circumstance, of existence. They now know why, and then they can get in front of the next time they see this developing wave, they can get in front of it and Mm -hmm. stop it from happening if it was something uh, they didn't like, or they can help propel it if it's something they did like, if you give them the why. Um, And there was a, uh, and and so during my career, I was probably, I, I started when I was in, in the service, I was in, uh, writing for Stars and Stripes and, and writing for uh, a newspaper in Washington, D.C., uh, uh, an Air Force Base newspaper, the Bowling Beam, uh, Bowling Air Force Base, right across from Reagan International Airport. And, uh, and I was constrained a great deal, of course, by the rules of being a soldier. I couldn't write exactly the truth, but I, could, I, I was learning how to communicate but had you paid attention enough in in language to be able to articulate things well as a young journalist? Funny thing that I left out in this basketball thing. <laughs> I had this other part of my brain, which was the performer part, uh, which basketball was probably a part of because on your center stage when you got the ball in your hand and all eyes in the gymnasium are looking at you. Uh, and this was a vehicle. Uh, to sort of be a star, even in this small community, uh, and get the letter jacket and, mm-hmm. and be famous 
in this small community. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I was uh, always not the lead, but always in every uh, play that was put on at our school. And whenever a uh, valedictory address needed to be given or every time a prayer needed to um, be said at a, uh, an award ceremony, I was always picked to do that. And uh, I actually have a little notation on a report card from a teacher of mine said, we expect to see you on TV someday. Oh. <laughs> that was just thinking. That was the yeah. third grade. Yeah. That was the yeah. third grade. Uh-huh. I expect to see you on TV someday. Because you were a little performer. I was. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so being a performer drove me into television. Yeah. Being seen. See, these are not... These are not positive things. If I, this is the true uh, autobiography, not not the glossed up autobiography. Mm-hmm. This is the truth. I mean, there's got to so, be ego in it. You, oh, absolutely. You can't. No, so, you can't. I'm want saying I, I, to get I, into I was that. Doing all of these things for the wrong reasons. Sure. Mm-hmm. You see. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I saw myself on television, I I said, "This is the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> I've done it. I can't believe. <laughs> yeah. I People am famous. I am. And so." So I was driven uh, to, to sp- get more and more airtime. And then I discovered, well, a very easy discovery, that you got on television in the lead story position if you brought in better stories. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that had come up to me uh, through, through my family was the oral tradition, the ability to tell a story my brother, God rest his soul, uh, I am a shadow of this man. Uh, I am, he was the original, I'm the imitation. He was the greatest storyteller. You, he could own any room mm-hmm. of any makeup, of any gender, any race, any ethnicity. He could just own the room by just beginning to tell stories. And he had never uh, tutored or never studied how a story is constructed. It just came naturally to him that uh, this is the way a narrative piece lays out. It has these elements. And I can go back and I can say, this is how he told a story. And I can look and go, well, that's the way I tell stories. Because all I did was I just uh, mimicked my my big brother. And so uh, storytelling came easy to me. And uh, I was snoopy enough that I was able to find stories, and that gave me more airtime, put me in the lead. And the more I did that, uh, the more people paid attention to me, and then I moved into an anchor position. And then uh, that wasn't as satisfactory to me to just be a reader of other people's work. So I turned to investigative journalism because that was something that didn't exist really in the sphere in which I lived and worked. And so I began to do investigations and taught myself basically how to do investigative reporting. And I'm going to uh, tell you the truth that uh, the textbook for how to become an investigative reporter uh, was, uh, again, at the hands of my father, who gave me the uh, entire works of Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, mm-hmm. and I read all of Sherlock Holmes. I would just—I still read Sherlock Holmes, and he taught me how to do investigations. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, there were some new applied techniques and, and surveillance that they didn't have. And, but of course, he was doing it from a handsome cab, and I was doing it from a van with a secret camera and, <laughs> and eavesdropping and doing all kinds of things that, that he didn't have the capacity to do. But he would get himself in disguise, and I had a disguise kit uh, for the I team, and it was, and it, and all of this was a, a push to become uh, uh, sort of more well-known and more famous and earn more money. So you were motivated by these, like these, these things that you maybe look back on and aren't totally proud of the, that that was the motivating factor, but it actually, it served to propel you into a position that you eventually learned to, you know, and did you have to embrace the better part of yourself, you know, the station, like this is, did you push the direction you were there? Yes. Yeah. You were yes. like, I'm going to do this. You're, it was under your suggestion and your guidance and your lead. Yes. Yes. And what I uh, might add that goes to your point <laughs> is that the motivation was terribly corrupt, but the product produced right. was valuable. Right. Yeah. You see that kind when of did those two oh, parts yeah. economy? Yeah, when did okay. the two parts of yourself catch up All with right. each other? Here's where it happened. Yeah. <laughs> it happened in Minneapolis. Yeah. So I started the I team in 1980. And one of the uh, first stories that I did was an investigation of a sitting district court judge who um, had been arrested a number of times uh, soliciting uh, underage sex. And so uh, I was able to uh, collect a number of witnesses, uh, juveniles, um, put them through the ringer, did uh, show up lineups with a series of people who looked like him, photographs, and they were able to pick him out. They drove me to his home. Um, they, I, I was absolutely satisfied that this was the case. Um, and the... Uh, the news leaked that I was doing this investigation, and I talked to him. I, I interviewed the judge, and he could not deny it. He would not deny it. And so we were going to go with the story, and the uh, promos had already begun on uh, running on WCCO. Then I got uh, a call from one of his attorneys and said, uh, do you realize what you're doing? This is a gay man, but he could not be openly gay and be because he was about to be propelled to the state Supreme Court. He cannot be openly gay and be on the state Supreme Court. They will not, in this time and place, allow that. And so his only sexual outlet was to go to the street. Hmm. And, uh, and I bought it. Mm. So I went to uh, the news director, and I, and and this story, this is Friday, the story is going to air Monday, over five nights. And I said, uh, I want to pull the piece. And he said, Why? And I told him why. And he said. He's a sitting district court judge who sits in judgment on cases mm -hmm. just like these that he's being accused of. Mm -hmm. um, this is a story, 
and I said, I, st- I still, I'm very uncomfortable because the, the nuance in all of this, it, I can't put into the story. I can't, I can't state that he's gay. I can't write that. I can't say that uh, his only outlet was the street. Um, and he said, well, you don't matter. Ron Hanberg said to me, mm-hmm. you don't matter. I'll get somebody else to read the piece. I said, it's my investigation. It's mine. I did the investigation. He said, doesn't matter. That information doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the people. Yeah. And that moment when I realized I was not as important as the information, when it was the, the switch that mm-hmm. was thrown. Yep. And from that moment forward, uh, I didn't matter any longer. It's when your ego and your conscience collided finally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I realized what was most important was put the fact and let the people decide. They'll, they may see this. And in fact, um, I stayed up after, uh, after the uh, report that made the accusation. And I, and I took uh, like 700 phone calls to the station. I sat in the shack where all of the phone calls come in, and people were uh, either applauding uh, the investigation or uh, decrying the investigation. And uh, I answered one, and it was one of my, uh, it was a lawyer who had been uh, a great um, asset to me as a source over the years. And he, I said, did you see the piece? He said, yeah. I said, what do you think? And he said, well, Don, I'm going to do one thing uh, tonight uh, before I go to bed. I'm going to get on my uh, knees, and I'm going to pray that you rot forever in mm. hell. That's sweet. And so uh, full-page ads were taken out in the St. Paul Pioneer Press and the Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, by the uh, two bar associations condemning me. Um, the case went to trial. Uh, he was indicted, uh, charged, disbarred, and he moved um, to Santa Fe, where he took up residence with uh, a lover and stayed uh, in that relationship until his death. And something wants to forgive me in the back of my mind, even though I, that story put him through that hell, it freed him in a way, mm-hmm. which was never my intention. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here and say that. No, I'm, it doesn't sound like no, your motivations I were to do, do My that. investigation no. was to find a person who was sitting in judgment of others who was committing these acts. Yep. Um, but all these sensitivities were uh, on fire inside of me. But it was at that moment when I realized I didn't matter. Right. But you, you realize you will not rot in hell for exposing someone for having sex with, with young men. I mean, this is not... In, in today's world, we know this. And I understand that the 80s were different yeah. and the 90s were different. I know my childhood was different. I know that you could ruin the reputation of a, of a classmate by accusing them of potentially being gay or something like yeah. that. It was, those were not good times for that. No, terrible. But you strip everything else away from that. And I've got, I've got boys. You know, 
and maybe maybe in some ways the uh, young men that had sex with this guy were willing participants. Who knows? I can't. You know, it was I, always the argument. Yeah, I, well, they were prostitutes. And, I, and I won't yeah. judge them for making the choices they made. But the truth is, you know, you like there's no tears for the person who makes the decision. Your only outlet is not this. Actually, you you could choose to do something different than what you're doing and not have sex with these young men in the streets and not hide this from people and then sit on the bench and judge other people for the same types of behavior. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, in in a way, you probably did set him free from having to live that lie. Yeah. Though, though not intentionally. I, I'm, uh, no. I don't want to put a patina of heroism on that story uh, because it was uh, terribly damaging. And, uh, but it awakened me to uh, lots of other things. And uh, uh, even, even to the point where uh, I felt compelled to join uh, Minnesotans United um, trying to fight the constitutional amendment um, that would have uh, made gay marriage illegal, and then uh, then going on to fight with Minnesotans United uh, to pass the law yep. to make it legal. Um, so, so there that 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 growth continues, and it, and it continues. Mm-hmm. In such unusual ways, it comes to you in 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 ways you don't expect, blindsided by knowledge mm-hmm. that you can't escape, you can't deny. Right. That's what I was going to say. Is it was you're growing from each of these mistakes in your life and looking for a better path forward, and that's to well, be that's, isn't that the, but isn't that the legacy of the country that I just expounded? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. We, that's, we that's, try to get better. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. just try to. And you're living better. the life that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's something mm-hmm. we should, uh, you know, we should strive for. You can't, you can't know it in the moment, though. You can't know that you need to learn something when you oh, don't yes. know you can't. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, too many of us, to too many of us are, are are so dense and defensive mm-hmm. that we uh, will not learn mm-hmm. the very uh, important fact in front of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Smacking you in the face. It. It's got to mm-hmm. hit you. Know, you. That's yeah. a huge yeah. part of it. Well, you guys, we have we've done a good half hour 55 minutes but that's okay let's take a break in the half (laughs) i still i want to keep this going but let's take a little break and come back to it good all right all right everyone thanks for listening we love comments and feedback so go ahead and let us have it if you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care. Mm-hmm.